Hello and welcome back to Walton Biz Talk, a student-run podcast where we have casual conversations about professional things. This podcast is powered by the Business Communication Lab at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. I'm Savannah Rubino and this is my co-host Gracie. Hello, I'm super excited to be here. And this season, we're taking a crash crash course into empathy and how it has become the ultimate business buzzword. So today, Gracie and I are very thrilled to be coming to you and bringing you an episode solely about coffee, which I think is a topic that resonates with college students very closely. We Mm -hmm. hold very dear to our hearts. Mm -hmm. We got the pleasure of talking with co-founder and co-owner of Onyx Coffee Lab, John Allen. So if you're not familiar with Onyx Coffee, um, Onyx Coffee is an artisan coffee house out of Northwest Arkansas, and they've won multiple awards, most recently the U.S. Brewers Cup Championship in 2020, and they also supply coffee to over 500 shops across the U.S. So primarily, I was doing research on Onyx Coffee, and 90% of the coffee that they source goes out of the state of Arkansas. So Mm. their big thing is wholesale. And we wanted to kind of explore the relationship between empathy and building those connections, building um, an ethical supply chain, and also just seeing where everything comes from, where everything is sourced and how um, we can connect with people and really become more on, on our end, more conscientious coffee consumers. So I gave you a little bit about John, but he does so much. So I wanted to let him give his own spiel. Sure. So um, I am one of the founders of Onyx Coffee Lab. And I sort of, uh, I sort of wear many hats within the business. My current role is uh, quality control from a sensory science standpoint. So I, I basically taste Uh, coffees for a living and then um, I do quite a bit of um, buying internationally and then I had like kind of our design team and our creative side. All right now that we know a little bit about John and all of the amazing work that he does I wanted to go in and do a little bit of I wanted to step a little bit backwards and talk a little bit about the history of sustainability in the coffee industry because this is something that has really only become a conversation, Gracie, I think, what, over the last couple decades? And the coffee industry is notoriously notoriously known to not be as ethical as an industry as others. Um, but I, I think it's kind of amazing the progress that has been made in the last couple of years. And dare I say it, I really do think that Onyx is a pioneer in this respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree because I was, you know, I'm I'm sitting here drinking coffee right now. Um, so I'm super excited about about this theme, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting too, because I've just noticed, yeah, a shift within myself and how I view coffee and think about coffee um since I've moved to Northwest Arkansas. Um so yeah, I, I have always known that Onyx has done a lot of sustainability initiatives just through looking at their social media and through their Instagram. But like talking to John, it was really cool because I felt like I got a broader picture of it and thus a broader picture of like the coffee industry as a whole. Yeah, and I think, I think it's really interesting to hear how far really the movement has come. So you did a little bit of research about 
how the coffee coffee industry kind of started, which really was not that long ago Mm -hmm. in -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, First, I I do want to tell a funny story that, I mean, Savannah, you already know, but the the people (laughs) listening don't know. Um, So I come from a really small town in central Arkansas, Uh, you know, that's all I'll say about it, but I come from a really small town in central Arkansas and there's one local coffee place. Um, and that was kind of it, uh, where that was the central location where we all like went and hung out and, and did our homework and things like that. So I moved up to Northwest Arkansas and I was like, okay, you know, they're super artisan over here. Um, it's a really coffee dedicated area. And I had been following Onyx on Instagram And um, so I said, okay, we've moved to Fayetteville. We need to come and we need to go to the Onyx Cafe. And so I told my partner, you know, don't embarrass me. These people know what they're doing. Um, I don't know what he could possibly have done in a coffee shop that would make me embarrassed, but that's, that was my thinking. So I walked very confidently up to the, up to the counter and I ordered an Onyx coffee um, because I had never heard Onyx pronounced out loud. And bless the barista, she didn't even like blink. She or she did. She looked at me, and then she didn't say anything, and and wrote the order down. Um, and it wasn't until later that I found out that I was pronouncing it incorrectly. So, um, I just thought that was a good example. I think Savannah, you said this, uh, but of empathy in Onyx, yes. at the barista level, at the barista <laughs> level. Um, yeah, so I just, I thought that was funny. And my family now, whenever I have coffee, they always ask me if it's from Onks. Um, so <laughs> I don't, so anyway, but yeah, a little bit about the history, at, at least of sustainability in the coffee industry as a whole. Um, like Savannah, you were saying it's, it's relatively new in the grand scheme of things, um, especially for how long people have been, you know, consuming coffee. Uh, but the first coffee agreement was in 1962 between producing and consuming countries. So like the U.S. would be a consuming country. Um, Colombia would be a producing country, um, at least considered under those, under those demarcations. But the idea for this was that it stabilized the coffee market and alleviated difficulties from supply, stock, and coffee prices fluctuations. And there's actually been like a lot more coffee agreements since then every like 10 or 15 or 20 years um, has been kind of this updated version of like how to best stabilize this market. Um, and then something that I found that I that I didn't know existed is the C price for coffee, which is essentially the price for Arabica. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but you can look it up online. We, um, me and Gracie practiced this several <laughs> times before recording and we still can't get it. I did. I was like, I, again, it's, I know that I pronounced Onyx wrong. So now I just doubt all of my ability to sound smart when I'm talking about coffee. So that thing, um, it's the price for that on the ICE. And it's essentially this idea that coffee is treated as a raw resource. It's supposed to be kind of supply and demand in theory, but sometimes there's speculation done in in future contracts and so sometimes it's not actually related to real market conditions sometimes it's more of just that speculation but it's it's supposed to be supply and demand um, in theory so uh and then yeah so we've been talking we've started off talking about the consumer consciousness and i know that savannah you and i have talked about this a lot um what do you yes i was just telling gracie before we were recording that I 
I am a part of Starbucks Good Vibe Messenger. If anyone knows what that is, I don't expect you to. But I basically get these motivational quotes from Starbucks. And I recently got a free drink. And I was just talking to Gracie about how invested it seems coffee companies are. Not only in... um, I know this episode is primarily about sustainability and environmentalism, but also in the hospitality respect. And I just thought that was really funny and a good good example um, to bring on the episode about how much movement there has been in the industry, which Gracie, tell me if I'm correct, because I didn't do research on this specific thing, but it seems like there wasn't a lot of movement until very recently in the way that coffee producers and suppliers do business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like from my understanding, and again, I'm not I'm not an expert, but it seemed like there's been movement within specific sects of the sects of the coffee industry. Um, but like the general consumer seems to be just now coming into this shift into hey, maybe we should be thinking about where our coffee comes from. You know, maybe I shouldn't buy the cheapest cup of coffee and, and, be, and be happy with the ethics about it. Um, but yeah, so it seems like certain areas of the coffee industry had been, has been doing things like this, but, but generally the consumers and, you know, the, the larger companies in the industry that are motivated by consumer interests, right, um, have kind of just started doing this shift within the last couple decades or so. And actually, John um, noticed this as well. So this is what he had to say about Onyx and being in the coffee industry before Onyx and when he noticed the shift in consumer consciousness. Yeah, we did. Um, I think really about 10 years ago or so, um, because we were were in the coffee industry even before Onyx, but I I think we started to see maybe more pointed questions Mm -hmm. asked or at least like more informed questions a little bit. Maybe not from a consumer side still, but from the industry itself, uh, which I think is how a lot of this usually starts in general. Um, and I think is somewhat unique to coffee compared to most commodities. I mean, you, you, you don't tend to see people asking like, you know, what are the, what are the conditions of the soybean farmers in Peru? Like you don't hear a lot about you know, a lot of other commodities, but coffee has always had that kind of unique drive. And so there's always been some sort of curiosity around it, partly because it's been such a terrible industry at certain moments of its lifetime. But um, but I do think in the last 10 years, there's been more educated questions about it. I think it's really interesting to talk about consciousness because I think it really starts with the consumer. And then we kind of notice that the industry follows in most circumstances but onyx hasn't really always been that way um i gracie i know you did a little bit of research as well into what the larger issues and underlying problems are with sustainability in the coffee industry as a whole so could you briefly tell us a little bit about that and maybe how um onyx is combating those issues yeah absolutely i think and again i i think i said this earlier but I don't, I didn't know that much about the coffee industry, but I had always kind of heard that there were like many industries, right. But that there were issues with sustainability um, in it. And so, 
I mean, some of the issues are, are familiar to us and, and some of them might not be. So it's this idea that the farmers that are producing the coffee often live in poverty um, or often unfairly compensated, right, for their labor and for their time. Also, um, there's been a problem with child labor, um, gender gap. So according to the I IISD, the coffee trade can reinforce gender inequity by maintaining patriarchal supply chain structures. Um, and it suggests that alternative trading structures may be an opportunity to improve the gender balance throughout the supply chain. So that's kind of like on the, on the people level. Um, as far as sustainability in the environment goes, um, obviously the water, like the footprint. So I found online that the global average water footprint of 125 milliliter cup of coffee is 140 liters. And that's according to the yeah. water. Yeah, according to the water footprint network. Again, I did, I assume that that's like the large scale producers that they're taking that data from. Um, but yeah, that's so much, so much. Uh, and then there's also obviously a problem with pollution um, and a reduction in biodiversity because when you have these kind of monocultural farms, obviously that re reduces biodiversity. But the cool thing about Onyx is they do so much for the sustainability oh, yeah. practice. Um, and a lot of these things I have seen them do on Instagram, but a lot of them I, I haven't either. Because again, my kind of first interaction with Onyx as a company was, you know, following them on Instagram and, and just seeing all of their posts. But they have eco-friendly mailers for most of their merch. They have recyclable boxes for their four and 10 ounce um, boxes. Their bags for their 10 ounce two and five pound bags are 60% compostable. Um, Something that I thought was really cool is that they have a completely carbon neutral roasting facility, uh, which I don't know why, but that just like blows my mind. Uh, <laughs> Here in Northwest Arkansas and our neck of the woods. Yeah, I no, know. That, is, that is very cool. Yeah. I want to go visit because I just imagine it smells good, but also it probably looks really cool too. Um, and something that, that John made sure to point out, and I, I'm glad that he did, was that Onyx pays the premium so producers can buy and use sustainable means. So they're really dedicated to that relationship between them and their partners, like setting that relationship up to be successful um, and making sure that they're getting compensated um, for that sort of thing. And I found just a couple of quotes from the Onyx website that I feel like really speaks to uh, I don't the mission. Know, yeah, like Onyx's dedication. Um, for example, you know, they say, join our pilgrimage, seeking quality, truth, and accountability in coffee. And I think this combining of quality, truth, and accountability is really interesting, especially when we're talking about empathy. Um, they also have on their website that they never settle for good enough. So they're continuing to work on sustainability. They're not done yet. Um, and they also say that in our cafes, our goal is to make you feel welcome, seen, and heard. Whatever coffee or pastry you choose fits what you're looking for. It's the service at the very end that completes the supply chain. There's an art to it. We want our cafes to be full of people from our community working, reading, and having conversations. Our staff is made up of some of the best coffee professionals in the States, and every drink, every interaction, every item is cared for, intentionally made, watched over, and executed to be exactly right. Um, which kind of brought into a question that, that we had for John, um, this relationship between empathy 
and sustainability in the coffee industry. Because like I said, to me, where this comes from, where empathy plays into the coffee industry is the community building of it. Like again, being from a small town, the only place to go was this coffee shop. Um, and it, it, you built relationships with the baristas and, and you built relationships with the other patrons here. And next I wanted to get into, a, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into, I know you talked a little bit about Onyx's ideals and their beliefs system and how they really like to stick and be consistent with their values. So I found on Onyx's website that they actually have this mantra and it's relationship coffee. And we actually, um, John talked a little bit about the ideals and how he prefers them to be concrete as opposed to abstract because they really honest, it really builds accountability and trust with the company. Yeah, no, it's very concrete. I'm actually very against abstract ideals <laughs> uh, because abstract ideals have been what's, in my opinion, wrong with the industry for a very long time. I mean, that is the, that's the feel good article your parents probably shared on Facebook, but like never really meant anything, right? It's what our customers asked us all the time about, but they don't want any raw data. So, uh, you know, in a way, not to change the subject, but it leads to the empathetic idea you were talking about in business is that I, I want as much empathy in our business as possible, as long as it's balanced with actual logic and data, because I see feelings all the time. What I don't see is a lot of actions. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I, it has to be balanced out with, with real motivation. So yeah, everything that, that we do from I guess the sourcing or the transparency setup was actually that exact thing was like, how do we put real concrete things together? Because we're tired of, uh, you know, little certifications on our bag or little organic stickers or whatever, whatever it is that someone's doing within the industry to, to really what it is, is marketing um, and has nothing to do. I don't, in my opinion, with like truly helping someone, or if it is, it's, it's kind of balanced out with hedging hedging their marketing budget um so what can we we put there so all that being said yes the 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 main initiatives we looked at was basically just like polling farmers we worked with about what is important to them and then enacting those so that would you know tangible things would be like okay is is price per pound or cash flow more important mm-hmm. and basically 99 percent of the time it was cash flow so it's like great we'll pay for coffee up front like mm-hmm. Let's get that out of the way instead of the standard contracts of like small down deposits or financing coffee through large banks, which is what 99% of all coffee is sold through. Mm -hmm. Um, We uh, have zero financing policy with coffee. Like if we, if we can't afford it, we don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we pay producers up front. We pay for all experiments up front. This is starting to sound like marketing itself now, so it makes me kind of sick. But those are the initiatives there. And then basically, we will just publish the data. So, you know, there's there's all sorts of certifications out there, and no one really knows the data behind them. It just kind of makes them feel warm and fuzzy. And, and our goal originally was actually to start a, a certification that we thought was proper. And then we quickly realized that we would be in the same boat, that like, you know, it, it would only be as strong as whatever we claim and who's to say that what we're doing is right. And so the way around that for us was that 
hey, what if we just publish every contract? And then we don't have to worry about the morality of it, right? Like you can you can read what we do and you can have a filter of whether it's good or bad. It's just numbers and numbers don't have a morality. Numbers are just numbers. And so we felt that that was the best way to truly show what we're doing without trying to, you know, show small pictures of orphanages or whatever someone wants to do to make everyone buy their coffee. Like that was not the goal here. Yeah. Um, the goal is to impact the industry in a real way mm -hmm. uh, and to take care of the people that that are our partners. So some highlights that I wanted to point out. First of all, it's really interesting because Onyx pays at least double fair trade minimum. And I don't know much about fair trade or Gracie, if you um, discovered a little bit about how that worked with the coffee industry, but many times they're paying three to 10 times the amount for the coffee. Wow. Um, so they pay what the coffee they believe is worth. And they build, like you were saying, they build and sustain these relationships with these people. So in a sense, they're not just paying for the coffee, they're paying for the time, they're paying for, of course, the labor, but also these relationships and really just showing that they really value um, the effort that their farms that they connect with and the people that they connect with are putting into the product. So I really, really, really appreciate that as a consumer. They also do not ask for exclusivity from their producers um, because they don't want to bind their options, which I think is crazy. I crazy in a good way. I think I, I don't think I've ever I I don't think I can name off the top of my head a company that does that or that is that transparent about that if they did. Um, and I also really appreciate that as a consumer. But the most interesting to me was that they don't finance any coffee. So they will not commit to paying for a coffee. They will not make a contract unless they can pay upfront. And that's so important when we're talking about building and sustaining and maintaining relationships because, you know, they they actually put um, a lot of effort into building these communities from the ground up. And it's not just about the coffee. It's about um, kind of having that transactional relationship, but more of a mutualistic relationship, I would say. And to build off of that, they actually set premiums after a contracted price to incentivize quality and community building. So this could be 10 cents to 25 cents extra per pound, um, or just um, Onyx will invest by um, having community projects such as um, providing school supplies in the growing village, um, providing sports jerseys or vented chimneys for kitchen fires. So they really want to put in just as much as they're taking out. And I know John is really passionate about this. And here's him talking a little bit, um, a little bit more about the motivation behind these ideals. Yeah, I think, I think for us, it's like kind of putting our money where our mouth is. I mean, we are, um, you know, if I, if I'm traveling through, I'm going to Columbia next week. So when I go through Antioquia and, and start meeting with producers and we are discussing sustainable farming techniques or other, other aspects, it's, it would be, you know, I, I don't want to be hypocritical and be asking the beginning of the supply chain to be working on the sustainability of their farm and then be doing nothing ourselves. So there is, there's a certain aspect of, you know, if we're going to ask for it or if I believe in it or 
mm. whatever that we need to actually do that and and that means like putting money into it because it's much you know it'd be much cheaper to find plastic bags and mm. you know solar panels for the roastery were kind of ridiculous but like there are there are aspects there that we want to do to show that we really mean it um and putting our best foot forward so that when we do talk to people about things that we're hoping to see or ideas or experiments we're asking them to run, um, they know that we are also, you know, for lack of a better term, suffering with them or putting, putting our money into it as well. And that we're not asking someone to shoulder a burden that we're not willing to shoulder. To build off of the idea of this relationship coffee mantra onyx i wanted to talk a little bit about the ethical supply chain like the more business side um the more transactional side of things so gracie i know you follow the onyx coffee instagram correct mm -hmm. yes i think we i think most people in northwest arkansas do i'd love to take like a little hand count or something in the office mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um you were kind of talking about how they use this as they use their social medias in a really cool way kind of like as a medium to not only promote their products, obviously, um, to market, but also to educate. And I think that's so important, knowing um, that you have an impact on how people consume their coffee. And you're kind of instilling this idea that everything that we consume, not just coffee, but everything that we have, like the desk that I'm sitting at, the um, cup that I'm drinking out of, even if it's just water, everything was, everything has like a story and everything came from a producer, from a supply chain. And most of the time we don't know um, where those things are coming from. So I really appreciate um, starting the conversation. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this new product, the Uji Matcha Powder. This was just, um, this was a recent product, um, a recent project that John had said, I think it's only been in the works for like a month, but um, according to the Onyx Instagram, this Uji Matcha powder is from the Hori Tea Farm in, Wiz in Wazuka Village, which is in, um, I believe, Japan. And it's women-led with three generations of matcha producers. So they talk about the process of making this matcha powder. They shade grow the tea leaves and then they steam and stone ground the tea leaves into a powdered form. And we, it really just brings this conversation that this is more of an art than it is a transaction in some ways. So we wanted to know how exactly Onyx builds and sustains these relationships all across the globe not just internally here in the US, but on such a large scale. And here's John talking a little bit about that. Sure. Um, yeah, so the first, uh, I don't know, eight, eight years of Onyx, I was traveling between three and six months internationally all the time. So I um, usually, I mean, this is, COVID has kind of like changed the landscape of mm -hmm. sourcing in general, to be honest, and that's a whole nother topic, but, um, yeah, normally uh, I would go to Columbia four or five times a year um, and then East Africa twice a year, which would hit sort of spending a couple weeks in Ethiopia and a couple weeks in, in Kenya, uh, Tanzania, Rwanda. Uh, and then basically every country in Central America, we would go at least once, um, if not twice. And I have a, a partner now who's also helping me source his name's Dakota. He's um, much cooler, younger, 
better looking, <laughs> smarter person. So he he actually uh, has been traveling more than I have now as I, I have two kids and it's it's a little harder to just disappear for a month. But yes, uh, I mean, the Onyx was basically founded on um, like if, if we don't have boots on the ground, signing contracts with producers in person, then we're not we're not getting the coffee. So um, we have most of my closest friends are, are in Ethiopia or Colombia, to be honest. And uh, that's kind of like where our where our heart is uh, with those people. Since we're talking a little bit about the Uji matcha powder, I wanted to also talk a bit about price transparency, which I thought the Uji matcha powder was a great um, product to talk about, especially because back um, going back in our audio with John, John says that in the tea industry, this is sort of like experimental for them, but in the tea industry, there's almost no transparency. So while the coffee industry has had a little bit more movement, the tea industry is what they're entering into, there really aren't many standards, I don't think. And so on their website, this can be found with any product that they have. And a lot of people I don't think are aware of this, but they actually post exactly how they get their price and um, what they pay for their products. So for the Uji Matcha Powder specifically, they have the farm cost, which is $23. They have the transportation, which is $3. The production cost three forty, and so that makes the total cost thirty two forty. So I thought that was a really interesting way to break down and educate, and um, it's just really cool. I think that they mm -hmm. do that, and of course, it's not um, the market price um, may go up and down, but the fact that they're keeping everyone up to date, and also that this is such a new project that they're still committed to. Um, you know, even if it's experimental, they're still very committed to um, making sure that the same values, the same initiatives are consistent throughout. I mean, this is a little, well, so it kind of talks about what we were talking about before with problems in the sustainability industry. But to be honest, when I think of sustainability in the coffee industry, the first thing I think of is climate change. Um, just, I mean, that's typically the first thing I think of if we're talking about any industry in sustainability. Um, and we found some really interesting, interesting, I don't know if that's the right word, but we set, we found some facts. Um, according to the New York Times, 50% of the land with conditions suitable for growing the two main species of coffee, um, Arabica and Robusta, which account for 99% of commercial supply could disappear by 2050, even accounting for modest changes in climate policy, which is terrifying. Um, for many reasons, right? Um, and right. John, yeah, John had a lot or had some really interesting things to say about the challenges that climate change presents in the coffee industry and sourcing for Onyx coffee products specifically. So here's a little bit about what he said. Yeah, I think it's affecting coffee pretty dramatically. I mean, we've, uh, you know, over the course of 10 to 12 years of even just traveling to the same farms, we're seeing farmers having to plant a little higher in the mountain for cooler temperatures. Um, you see a, a, what's called roya, which is like a coffee disease that basically affects low elevation uh, shrubs. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of like real tangible evidence of issues with climate change, or at least with warming in those areas. Um, 
I mean, as far as like, do we sort of like forecast and plan around it or think about our future? We do, I guess, holistically from like, from like, what is the future of the coffee industry? Because we worry, I don't know. I mean, we are, obviously we love coffee. Like we're all, we're a group of stupid coffee nerds that, that formed a company. And so um, we're always kind of thinking through the next bouts of that. I mean, I, I think you'll definitely see some producing countries um, have an inability to grow at least at our current varieties, like some really high grade coffees. So you, I think, you know, Panama and Costa Rica and a few of these countries that are known for like producing some incredible coffees, but that don't have, or are like kind of hanging on to really cold nights, which is what's needed for a lot of that cultivation. Well, there'll have to be some sort of shift. Um, some of that's gonna be done with, um, cultivars so there's a lot of hybrid varieties being grown that are dealing better with climate change mm -hmm. deeper root structures things like that you're also going to see the emergence of robusta which mm -hmm. um, is not a is not one of the species that we currently buy it it um, does not normally cut very well but i think that will become inevitable or as arabica has kind of been king um, and I think you'll see, uh, you know, from, from our standpoint, we're seeing new areas developed for coffee that were never cultivating coffee before. And so, for instance, we have had a, um, an ongoing project in China that we've been trying to get coffee from for a while, and it hasn't been coming to our standards yet, but it's really close. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a, you know, I mean, from a, from a logistics standpoint, there's a lot of room to start growing coffee. I think China will become one of the larging, largest growing regions in the world in the next like 30 years for coffee. Yeah. Uh, so there'll be, I, I think the landscape will change. I'm not sure that the full amount will totally change because um, the amount of hybrid varieties being developed right now that have huge yields are pretty massive, but I do think the overall cup quality will then go down and it'll change the way coffee is sort of farmed uh, if that makes sense i mean we're right now we're still in this great area where at least in central and south america you're still having small family farms that can process the coffee themselves um it's not like big mills like you would see in brazil or something like that where there's massive tractors harvesting coffee cherries this is all hand pulped meticulous beans and those those kind of operations i think will start to disappear as the environment warms not just because they can't grow coffee but because there'll be other commodities that are more economical to grow i mean already we have lost many producing partners who have decided to rip out most of their coffee and plant avocados mm -hmm. because the demand is much better or um, are getting into other agricultural products finally i wanted to end on uh, a little bit more of a lighthearted note, um, but we talked about um, at the very beginning, coffee obviously resonates very closely with college and the college experience. So we were curious to know how exactly can college students specifically be more conscientious coffee consumers? And this is what John had to say as well. I mean, 
now that the transparency movement is moving a little further, I mean, I think that's probably the simplest, not, not just us, but there's um, a couple of roasters on the West Coast and uh, definitely some out of the Nordic countries that are starting to publish all their, all their trades. And I think that's the first and foremost, Mark, if you can find that to really look for, because um, the, the things that we used to take for granted as being sort of social markers for ethical coffee like fair trade usa or um, some of the other certifications don't always have some of the data to back them up mm -hmm. so i think you know that would be the the first thing i think i would also be again it it sounds like we're promoting ourselves but if you know if the coffee is inexpensive it, the math never works <laughs> it just it just doesn't. Um, and being able to kind of like hand that a $10 cup of geisha every morning, that's that's not the goal here. I think there's a time and place for, for every kind of coffee. Um, but just kind of being aware of how that, of what that coffee is and, and what has kind of gone through for that. And I also, I, I do think also not feeling like a full sense of you know, the goal is not to shame someone when they're having a dollar drip, right? Like, that is not the, that's not going to fix what is kind of what's wrong with the industry. So, you know, no amount of shaming on that part is, is a good idea. But those would be like sort of some things on economy from a quality perspective. It's like, you know, pretty standard, standard things like whole bean coffee and, you know, not getting flavored coffee will help with some ecological if you're concerned with some of the sustainability aspects like looking for natural processed coffees which don't use any water um, don't cause any acidic runoff in the rivers which in my opinion would be the largest ecological disaster of coffee production um, you know, those are things you can start to look towards all right guys well if you like what you heard please download and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts while you're at it, follow us on Instagram at Walton Biz Talk and our new account at Walton BCL. That's all for this week. We'll get back soon with casual conversations about professional things.